Meryl Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Meryl Memo. On today's show, we're going to look into the exciting new funding announcement that's been made out there for Dubbo's Western Plains Zoo. We'll also be acknowledging some of Dubbo's finest citizens and also be taking a bit of a snapshot of some of the great new shows that'll be coming up at the Regional Theatre next year. Good morning, Matt. How are you this morning? I'm exhausted, actually. It's been a really busy week this week. Another busy week, mate. Well, it seems like there's always a busy week. It seems like there's so much happening. And one of the big things that I've really noticed since I've come back as mayor the second time around is the amalgamation after the amalgamation. Mm. And I remember last time I was mayor, it was really busy around Dubbo City Council area. There were lots of things to do, lots of ribbons to cut, lots of events to go to. But now, of course, you add Wellington in, so that adds the events from there, which is great because there's yes. lots of things happening in Wellington. It's all very exciting as well. But then on top of that, you add the travel in. So the roadworks between Dubbo and Wellington mean that it's really about a 40-minute trip now. So I'm down in Wellington, I'd probably say at least three times a week, sometimes right? four or five times yes. a week. Yeah. So you add the extra events that are there, then you add the time for travel, yep. and you go, yep, there's a fair bit of extra time taken there. Mm. But this week, it seems to have happened, it just seems to be in events everywhere. So I was in Mudgee one day this week, I was in Bathurst another day this week, I was in Sydney another day this week. So it seems like it's all over the place. And mm. after we record this, I'm looking forward to a little sleep, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and wasn't it lovely also this morning to actually get back onto the old course down there at the park run? It was yeah, to see that uh, that little low-level bridge finally open, folks. It's if you want to go and check out that uh, track again, it's all open to run around through that space again. So I just thought I might address the conspiracy theorists out there. Oh, Mark, yes, yes. Because, What's the latest conspiracy? Well, I did hear this morning when I was at Park Run the fact that the Shibble Bridge, which is another part of Tracker Riley, is yes. actually higher than the Tenworth Street Bridge. And so as I was walking oh. past someone and they were chatting away, they said, oh, they've opened up the Tenworth Street Bridge first because I know the mayor and the CEO do Park Run, so they wanted to get it open for them. <laughs> <laughs> and. I just had a quick chat to the, the person talking about yes. this, but the fact about the Shibble Bridge being high is correct. So right. the Shibble Bridge is actually a little bit higher. In fact, the bridge is probably similar to the Tenworth Street Bridge, but then as you go on the western side of the Tenworth Street Bridge, it dips down, the path dips down there. So mm. even though the bridge might be out of the water, if the water's still at a certain level, the entrance there is still underwater. So ultimately the Shibble Bridge comes out of the water and is able to be used before the Tenworth Street Bridge. Mm. There's a couple other things that are complications to throw in there is that the Tenworth Street Bridge, the railings have to be lift, let down manually. Mm. So they've got bolts on them. When water's rising, then our staff go down, take out the bolts, drop the railings. At the Shibble Bridge, it was a later design we did that one. So they're actually designed with shear bolts. So the pressure of the water is enough to actually snap those bolts by design, and then they fold down. Now, that works well, except sometimes you might get a few logs coming along, and Mm. before they get enough pressure to snap, they might do a bit of damage to the railing. So we sometimes take a bit longer to get the Shibble Bridge back up and going. Mm. But it was a conscious effort this week to get the Tenworth Street Bridge back up and going for Park Run, not because the CO and myself run in Park Run, and we'll count you in there as well. We might as well make you part of the conspiracy theory as well. I'd like to say the fact that it improved my time, but unfortunately, no. (laughs) But the reality is... You've got a couple hundred people every Saturday doing park run, yes. and they use the Temple Street Bridge when it's available. Obviously, they've had to use an alternative course, yes. but that's a great usage of that asset. Mm. So why not get it open Absolutely. for park run? Oh, but yeah. also, just in general, when people are using Tracker Riley, more people do use the Temple Street Bridge than the Shibble Bridge. Mm. So we're always going to open the Temple Street Bridge sooner, all things being equal, mm. before the Shibble Bridge because of the slight amount of damage that might be done at Shibble because of the higher usage 
not just because the CEO and the mayor happen to run at Park Run. Well, I'm glad you answered that. Conspiracy matters always. <laughs> you've done well. Now, on obviously a little bit more of a, uh, let's just say, a bit more of a pressing issue, I'd suggest, because my park running performance, I must admit, I'd love to have seen him improve on that bridge there today. It was a lovely day to get back around it. But Matt, during the week, there was a really impressive announcement made in regards to the Western Plains Zoo. So what's actually happened out there? There was $30 million announced this uh, week, I think, in regards to the New South Wales state government on that. Yeah, so $20 million from the state government, $10 million will come from the zoo. Right. They'll be building a whole new Serengeti Visitor Experience Centre. Sounds uh, amazing. And one of the things that Dubbo does really well is we have conferences out here. And there's a sweet spot for those conferences. If someone wants to have a conference of five, six, seven hundred people, it's probably bigger than most of our centres can handle. And it's probably not worth people going and building a conference centre of that size for the number of conferences around that might be of that size. But the real sweet spot for Dubbo seems to be maybe 100 to 300 people. Mm. We can handle those size conferences. We've got the accommodation. We've got the ability to really absorb those people into our community and benefit from them financially. Mm -hmm. So this Serengeti Visitor Experience Centre has got a 300-person conference centre, but it looks out across – this is a whole new area they'll build. The entrance will be from Camp Road. So the existing entrance – on the – Eastern side, isn't it? The, the, it's around the, the back. Area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you've got the entrance to Zafari Lodge, which is past the normal entrance, yep. but you'd keep going along that road and loop back around to Camp Road, and everything will then be entered the Zafari Lodge and the Serengeti experience will all be entered from that entrance, and the main entrance will be just for people that are going to the main part of the okay. zoo. Is it going to connect up to the old? safari sort of set up is that the way it's going to run all of that will then be connected together okay. and at this stage we council were involved in the business case for this in terms of justifying the expense of spending this money from the state government involved in the submission of this so it's a partnership arrangement between Taronga western plains zoo right. and our regional council which is fantastic excellent we're not putting in any money the we'll be the bankers if you like we'll take the money from the government yep. we'll basically make sure it's all done and spent properly mm. so we're an important partner in there but just in terms of that tourism asset we have mm. here in Dubbo, it's a fa- fantastic asset now. Mm. 300,000 people a year, every year, visit the zoo. So that's, say, roughly 1,000 people, a little bit less than 1,000 people a day, every day, yeah. coming into our community to visit the zoo. From a tourism perspective, our job as the rest of the community, yeah. as Dubbo Regional Council, is to see how we can hold on to those people a bit longer. Yes. And you can just imagine if we could hold on to those people for one extra night mm. by other tourism assets that we might have, we estimate that about $200 per night per person is what it gets injected into our economy. Now, so, you're better at maths than me on that one. So, so if I multiply that out, 300,000 people, get them here for one extra night, $200 a night, that's $60 million wow. into our economy that we can drop in. And again, it's a challenge because mm. people come for a holiday, they think, we'll go to the zoo. They might even stay, for example, in Mudgee at a winery and they just come over to the zoo for a day. Mm. We've got to entice them with other things. We've got to make it so that people say, I can't possibly do that in a day. Or well, they might be planning on a couple of days and then they see other things that we've got, whether it be Wellington Caves or Alderbury Jail or mm. the Royal Flying Doctor Visitor Experience Centre, or if we get things like e-scooters or paddle boats down the river, all sorts of different things, yep. the longer we can keep them here, the more that does for our economy. Well, I noticed too, with regards to this new Serengeti experience that there's accommodation is coming into that. Is that part of it as well? Are they, are they increasing the level of accommodation out there too? Because as you say... It's all about trying to keep people here. So one of the great ways is to get them to stay overnight rather than simply just go to the zoo for the day. Yeah. To actually get them to stay overnight there, then we can obviously – these other things come into play too, don't they? Absolutely right. And Zufari, the whole accommodation area out there at Zufari is a fantastic thing. And some people, some of the accommodation providers in Dubbo were a bit worried when the zoo first announced that they were going to have accommodation at the zoo because mm. one of the things that 
used to be really important is people would stay at the zoo and then they'd stay mm. at some motel overnight. But it adds to our tourism product rather than taking away from the accommodation yeah. providers. Yes. And what will often happen, and I've had friends of mine do exactly this, I've said, when you come to Dubbo, you've got to stay at Zafari. Sure, stay at my place if you want or stay at a motel because mm. they might be here for three or four days. But at least one of the nights you've got to stay at Zafari. And Zafari is fairly expensive, but that's where people do. They don't. If they're staying in Dubbo for a week, they don't stay at Zafari for a week. They'll stay at Zafari for a night because it's all about the experience mm. of staying there, the behind-the-scenes tour you get. That's all part of that fantastic experience. Mm. And so you might stay there one night, but that might actually add to the tourism for the other areas. But it's also about the different experiences, and this is what this Serengeti will be all about. There'll be yes. new accommodation built as part of it. But the idea is that they're modelling this on places like Kruger National Park in South oh, wow. Africa. Okay. Now, it's not going to be as big as that. Kruger National Park, I yep. think it's something like 55,000 yes. square kilometres. And I've been there. I've been there with my wife to Kruger National Park, and it was a fantastic experience. And yeah. there's a few things that I found interesting. I mean, it's a long way to get there. I think yeah. from door to door from here in Dubbo, it was about 26 hours. So it's a long way to go, 14 mm. hours up in the air. You've then got about a five-hour drive, I think, from memory, from where we landed across to Kruger National Park. And then they've got accommodation, and they've got tours that go out in amongst the Serengeti. Mm. But the accommodation, and they probably do this a little bit to make it all part of the experience, but they mm. say, just make sure when you walk from the main accommodation area across to the main food area, you always ring a guard and bring one of the Just in case a lion decides to jump out at you or well, something? Well, leopards are apparently the big thing oh, they wow. talk so about. They said genuine. that leopards, just, well, I don't know. This is the thing. It's all part of the, another conspiracy theory. It <laughs> well, it could be part there of that is. making this part of the overall experience. Oh, yes, yes. But they talked about the fact that leopards sometimes see people walking the short distance from their mm. accommodation area to the main area. Or something, do they? Or? Well, they apparently grab the back of your neck and just snap the back of your neck, and they don't actually want to eat you. They just want to take <laughs> you out play. of the picture. That's morning play. <laughs> Look, kids, there's your, there's your morning play. Go and have a crack at that. <laughs> That's right. So you made sure when you hear this little story, you made sure that you always had an attendant with you, and they're yeah. carrying guns with them, of course, so they're ready for these leopards that are going to come and jump yeah, out. Right, eh? Now, again, I don't know if it ever happens to someone. So what, it's a good selling point anyway, isn't it? Well, it's a good or a bad selling point. I'm not sure which. <laughs> I don't know if I'm encouraged by this or not. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing with this experience they're building here in Dubbo, mm. you'll get that similar sort of outlook without the fear of death yes, built into yes. part of the package. <laughs> we're not going to have leopards jumping out of people, are we? No, that's, that's, that's <laughs> obviously part of the plan to not have leopards yeah, coming right. out. We'll just throw that little story out there, though, maybe, just to encourage a few others. Well, that's right. But maybe the whole idea of just being able to sit there in your conference centre. Imagine going to a conference where you're sitting there and it's basically like being out in the Serengeti. You're looking out mm. across a watering hole and you're at the very concentrated animals. concentrated at a conference. You're looking at that, though. Well, that yeah, might be part of it, too. What um, so, a good keynote speaker to get that. Yeah, so you're trying to take the concentration That's away. Right. So you've, you've got the conference that will be upstairs. Downstairs there will be restaurants to handle those people at the conference. Wow. But we as residents of Dubbo or anywhere can obviously go out and just visit that restaurant as a normal restaurant as well. But yeah. again, if you had a special occasion meal that you wanted to have, then mm. having it out there... And on one side will be that watering hole and the animals around there. On the other side will be a play area, like a water play area okay. sort of thing where you can play, the kids can play there without the risk of having some hippopotamus come and munch on you or something. <laughs> so it sounds fantastic. New accommodation, which will be a higher level accommodation than Zufari accommodation. Oh, okay. So a bit more like a four or five star sort of style setup. That type of thing, yeah. Okay. So it all looks fantastic. Now, that's all stage one. Stage yeah. two oh, wow. will be a hospitality training centre. And obviously that's incredibly important because it is hard for people to find employees in the hospitality industry yeah, in Dubbo at the moment. Yeah. It's across the board. It's not just Dubbo. But having somewhere where they train, and again, you'll get trained to a very high standard, but what a great area to have oh, for your training. Magic. So yeah. really exciting project. Yeah. A lot of money injected into the Dubbo economy. I suspect they'll have this open and running by some time, I'm going to estimate here, maybe mid, maybe late 2025. Okay. Uh, the plans, are. I've seen the 
mock-up plan so far, but obviously yeah. more detailed plans to go. It is, it's a really exciting project, but again, keeps building on what we've got there, keeps building yeah. on the zoo, keeps building on that fantastic asset that we've got. And I think when I was growing up, it was really a little bit about, oh yes, we've got the zoo, but we've got other stuff as well. Yes. So sometimes people were not wanting to be identified by just the zoo in Dubbo. But now I think people have realised, wow, it's such an important asset for us. Who cares if people know us for the zoo? Absolutely. At least you know them for something. So why not it be the zoo? It's a fantastic thing and it's all about conservation. Yeah, can I just ask you just a quick question on that? I was listening there during the week um, and Dougal Saunders made a comment, which I thought was a really profound one. He said that out here uh, in our Dubbo region, we get about 1% of the overall tourist sort of population when they sort of move across to. If we could double that, so your figures are saying about 300,000 people go out to the zoo. We could double now, that. Now, to sorry, just, go back one step. Was he talking about 1% of international tourism? It might have been international tourism. Yeah. That, that could be the clarification point. Yep. Um, you know, and he's sort of basically saying, if we could double that, think about the the consequence of that from the, in a positive way. You know, yeah. the output in that a really positive way. So, and I, what, I don't quite necessarily it, agree are those with figures Google true? That? that. Yeah. So we, if we do get uh, about one percent of the international tourists come out here, yep. the problem is that to try and increase that number, and and again. What Dougal's saying is right, mm. that if we can get more international tourists, fantastic. That's more money injected into our economy. But the number one postcode that visits the Bow Zoo, the mm. Taronga Western Plains Zoo, is Mossman. Is that right? So sometimes you look at where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and look at how you can bolster one. You might sometimes focus on your weakness or you might say, let's make our strength even stronger. Yeah. To increase that international tourism, you start to think, what do we need to do? What do we need to spend mm. to increase that? Now, where do you advertise? Do you go to China? Do you go to New Zealand? What country do you go to to try and increase the visitation of the zoo? How much advertising do you have to do to say, please come and visit Taronga Western Plains Zoo? And then you say, all that money we're going to spend on all that and the return we get on that investment – are we better off just going to Mossman and saying, come and visit the zoo? Because we know we've got a good, strong foothold there already, so we're more likely to get more people. Now, mm. it's not council zoo. We don't control the zoo. We don't run the zoo. These are all hypothetical questions that I'm putting out mm. there. Mm. But if I own the zoo, I wouldn't be that concerned that we only had 1% international tourism. And I know some people would love to see more than that. That's fantastic. But you're looking at how you're getting the return on your investment. What's the best bang for your buck? Mm. And I actually believe the best bang for your buck if I was running the zoo would be to spend more money advertising in Sydney rather than in China because I'm more likely to get a return on my investment mm. out of Sydney than I am out of China, for example. So mm. it's a tough one. Yes, I'd love to see more international tourism. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But do I think it's a good investment to try and advertise and then where do you advertise? That's yeah. the, the really challenging part. So well, again, that might increase anyway. Yep. I did actually make the statement when we were, we were making the launch or talking about the launch of this new project. I did actually say, having been to South Africa to visit Kruger, when we have this experience here, I look forward to visiting, or oh, sorry, welcoming visitors from South Africa yes. to come here and look at what we've got here. Uh, slightly tongue in cheek, because if you were in South Africa, you might go to Kruger, it's a bit easier for you. Yep. But I think we will have something that will be an experience that will be absolutely matched mm. to something like Kruger National Park. So it's I look amazing. forward to lots of people visiting well, I can't that. wait to see it. Yeah, Matt, uh, I just want to raise a little bit of point of discussion here with you in regards to uh, during the week, there's uh, been some some committees that have been made, or not actually during the week, in uh, in recent times, there's been some committees that have been made up about climate change and resilience uh, committees. Now, I think there's a few of these sort of grip, different groups out there. There's obviously committees that have been set up there specifically here in town uh, for climate change conversations, and there's obviously other committees that have been set up. So how does it actually work with council in regards to this? 
So there is one committee we've got at council called the Climate Change and Resilience Committee. Oh, so that's one group there specifically. That's one specific okay. committee. Now, and we actually met during the week, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But what happened when this new council was formed, it was quite interesting. Back in the old Dubbo City Council days, again, going back to the old days when I was mayor before, yes. we had this really great process, and it wasn't created by me. It was a process that had been developed over many years, many mayors and councillors before I came along. And we had lots of different committees and different groups that met. And I thought they were really positive ways to actually get some feedback from the community. And you'd normally meet, say, quarterly, for example, okay. and they'd have a different focus. So it might be a focus on the sale yards. It might be a focus on the villages around Dubbo, various different ones. And so those committees had a focus. And the people, the community members on those either had a passion or had some mm. skills around that particular focus. For whatever reason, don't know why, the last council decided to disband all of those committees. So okay. essentially, I think they were all gone, or maybe there were one or two that were left as a, as a result of the amalgamation and then the, the new process of putting those committees together. Yep. When this council was formed, one of the things that I certainly talked about to my fellow councillors and fellow councillors agreed is that we really needed to form committees again because they were so important to get that community mm. feedback. So we had a great workshop there one day where mm. we basically had some butcher's paper on the wall. The staff wrote school. up. I love it. Yes, yeah, the whole yes. school. The staff wrote up every committee that had ever existed over the last 20 years. Right. And then we went through and talked about those committees and did we need this committee? What's this committee going to do? We didn't want to co create committees for the sake of creating committees. We wanted to make sure they would have a purpose mm. in some way to sort deliver. prioritising the level of importance amongst the committee groups. Yeah, I don't want to say level of importance because that might put some yes, notes no, out of joint, but the relevance, but also the ability to do something. And that was the mm. important part of it. It's no good creating a committee that says, let's reduce the taxation rate in Australia so we all earn more money. Well, that's great, but we don't actually control that. So what's the point of creating mm. that committee? So it was really things where we could actually have a positive output. Yep. We end up with approximately 16 committees off the top of my head, okay. and they all had different focus points, all had different things to do, yep. and different makeup of them. So for example, there's a Wellington Town Committee. So as you can imagine, there are people focused around the Wellington area that are sitting on that committee. And so people from Dubbo probably think, well, I don't need to be on that committee because let mm. the Wellington people have a say on things that they need for Wellington. So people in Wellington obviously put their hand up. There's another meeting of that committee next week, which I'll be along to. And so it's a really good process of getting all these different things together. Mm. The Climate Change and Resilience Committee meeting is actually quite a, a very robust committee. There are lots of people from the community. There are lots of people out there passionate about climate change, which is fantastic. Good. And what we've got to do as a council is I think we are very progressive, much more progressive than many other councils that I talk to around the state. Mm. And I would say absolutely more progressive than the last council in terms of the actions that we're taking and the things that we're doing. Mm. And having a committee like this where you've got lots of people who say, we need to do things fast, we need to do things quicker, is really good because that challenges the thought process for council, for councillors. Yes. And what you've got to do, one of the things I've always found, when you want to make change, people are resistant to change naturally. Mm. And if I'm at point A and I need to get to point Z, then I might, in my mind, be absolutely satisfied that point Z is the answer. Let's go straight there. The problem when you do that is you lose people along the way. Mm. So to get to point Z, you've got to go to point B and C and D and through the alphabet to get to Z. Mm. And I think that's what we've got to balance up. So when we talk this committee, if, if we set this committee and said to this committee or set the agenda from this committee and said, you can control what council does, then this committee would only focus on climate change. Mm. And that'd be great for an incredibly important thing that we've got to do in our community. 
but we would lose most of the community along the way. Yeah, so so right. what we've got to do is take the become other priority factors too, don't they? Absolutely right. So take the enthusiasm, the passion, and the knowledge from this particular committee, yeah. balance it up with a whole range of other competing priorities, mm. and make sure we're stepping along the path to get in the right direction. Yeah. And I think we'll get there. And so that's a, a really important part of the process. But as this committee meets and talks about their passion, every other committee that meets has the same passion and says, well, yes. the only thing you should be focusing on is this particular aspect of council. So again, you've got to balance those up. And that's a real challenge for councillors. Yeah. We have all this information. We have all these competing interests. Yes. We've got to ha- somehow work out a way that gives the best outcome overall for the long-term benefit of the community. The good thing about the committees, though, isn't it? There's, you've got the community voice, which uh, there's an opportunity there because everyone's going to have their interests and their passion. So there's an opportunity there for people to go into the committees that they're very passionate about. It also, I suppose, gives them a common voice rather than having all little individual voices popping up and everyone's got their own suggestions. You have the committee form and it's a chance for everyone to express it in a very formal sort of structure and that way you can then come up with a common outcome that you can then pass on to council as, as a community voice. And you've said the important thing, they're passed on to council. So what happens with a committee like this is they don't make any decisions. What they would do is they'd make a recommendation. Yes. That recommendation would then go through typically to a standing committee meeting of council. The standing committee meetings happen... Which I now know about, because you yeah. explained to me in one yeah, of the previous podcasts. Oh, look, that's so, very good. So the second Thursday of each month is our standing committee meetings. Yeah. It won't happen that way in December because of Christmas, but normally second Thursday of each month. And that's when we discuss various things. So recommendations from various committees, uh, community committees, are discussed at those meetings. So that gives the community a chance, because mm. up to this stage, yeah. the committee's really the only one that knows about those things, those community committees. So then it goes to a standing committee, so then the wider community gets a chance to see that, and yes. they oh, okay, that committee recommended that, and that's a good idea, or that's a terrible idea, and then we get more feedback from the community. Then two weeks later, mm. it would go to a full council meeting, which is when the decision would be made. So the discussion that happens at the community committee meetings, the discussion happens at the standing mm. committee meetings, and then finally you get to a actual council meeting, yeah. and then that resolution is the action point. So we might have wonderful ideas at those pr- two previous committee meetings, but if we don't go to the actual mm. resolution of council, if we don't resolve to do something, then all it is is idle chatter. Yeah. It's when we resolve to do something that action actually happens from that. So um, it's a good process absolutely. to get those focused people in the community, then the wider community, get a chance to have feedback, get yeah. a chance to hear from the community, and then finally a resolution of council. And ultimately it's still councillors that make that decision, mm. but hopefully we've had feedback along the way to get the right decision or as close as possible to the best decision every single time. Yeah. Great way to catch all the voices. Oh, Matt, this one's very, very close to my heart. Uh, now, obviously last Sunday, the DRTCC, the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre, now, they had their annual launch of what's coming up next year. Now, this is always a very exciting time. I, I, I love the launch because it's a, a great little snapshot of, of what's going to be coming up. Now, this has been such a, a wonderful initiative and adventure here for, for you and Dubbo. Uh, the, the new, well, it's not really new anymore, is it? It's been around now for quite a while, but uh, our theatre. And I always love to sort of hear what's coming up. So, Matt, talk us through last Sunday, first of all. And then, if you can, give us a bit of a snapshot of maybe what's potentially going to be coming up next year. So 17th of April 2010 was the first show at the You're amazing on figures. How do you remember those things? <laughs> I have no idea. That's well, it was Hotel California that played on that. And then the next day, 18th of April 2010, was Kamal. Mm. So if ever there was a doubt that this theatre was going to be a success, two sold-out shows the first two days and a talent like wow. Kamal coming yeah, along yeah. was fantastic. So the season launch on last Sunday was a significant event because – Obviously, we have those season launches every year. Yes. COVID had restricted those somewhat. 
But there's two opportunities at those season launches. One, you get a bit of a snapshot through the, went for about an hour, through that session to see what's coming up next year. You get some little snippets, some live performances on stage and mm. some videos that you see on the big screen to see what's coming up next year. But it's also the announcement about the subscription season. Yes. So we have subscribers in the season. So you can buy a subscription package. You get a certain number of tickets that you can buy to a certain number of shows throughout the year. Mm. You get some preferred seating. You get some discounts. So a few range of ideas or a few range of advantages there by being a subscriber yep. but it's really to get people excited about the next yeah. season we want lots of people to come along and see various shows there also a good chance to talk about some of the sponsors and some of the people that support the theatre a number of new sponsors were announced on the day and there are also some returning sponsors so just to run through those sponsors very quickly it's great to acknowledge the support we get from some of these people Centre Sage sponsor a new sponsor there Mars Group oh, good on Top that. Hat sponsors David Payne Constructions and Mari Astley they've been involved before Season Launch sponsor was Kings Hall Jewellers Chorus Line sponsors Devo Dental and Duncan McGuinness Vet and Curtain Razor sponsor was Bergen and Williams they are important to the theatre and to the money that comes in for that theatre mm. but you're right it has been there for well 12 years now 12 mm. and a half years oh, that's gone fast and I think the thing is that I have really enjoyed is that way back when, and I remember when I first stood for council, so 2003, I made the announcement, or made the decision in my mind, then made the announcement that I was going to stand for the council elections at the beginning of 2004. And... Back then, Dabo Arts, very progressive group, a very mm. active group in the community, was really pushing for a theatre, and they've been pushing for some time. But I remember they did an interview with all the candidates mm. about the theatre and what their thoughts were in the theatre. So I remember from my first time on council, it was about how do we get this theatre. It obviously took six years before we got there, mm. which wasn't too bad. That's not too long a time frame, really, to get a project, an $18 million project yeah, yeah. up. But there were some people in the community then who were very much against it. And part of their logic was, I don't want to see men in tights running around on stage. Is that right? And again, it's like such an aged and sort of concept of an idea these days, doesn't it? Well, it makes does. Like anyone still have that opinion. And the thing is that some people thought that a theatre, in inverted commas, was for just the ballet yeah, or maybe just a philharmonic orchestra. High class, well to do. Well, something like that. Mm. And it is for those things. We've got those there as well. But just to give you an idea of some of the things that we'll see next year, we'll see the Umbilical Brothers. Now, I've oh, seen yes. them before at our yeah, theatre. Yeah, yep. And Absolutely brilliant, very brilliant, clever, very funny. It's not exactly what you think of when you think of Men in Tights or no, think of no, far from it, orchestras. I That's right. <laughs> uh, you've also got some of the comedy festivals. And what I enjoy about those, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the Sydney Comedy Festival, they do tours around lots of different theatres, but they'll only go to theatres where they know it's a high enough quality. And that's mm. where we see we get some of these high quality productions because we've got a high quality theatre. Yeah. If I'm a production company and I can choose to go to an old civic centre hall that's a flat floor and basic facilities Typical out the back. sort of CWA town hall style setup, yes. Yeah, that's right. If I can get to go to that or go to a modern international standard theatre like we've got here, mm. I'm going to try and take that one every single time. Mm. So when you see those, and recently I think we had Kitty Flanagan here, yes. her show sold out, so she put two shows on. So again, the 500 seats is not too bad a number in terms of the number that we can mm. fill in a normal showing or a normal mm. event. So you've got that whole range. So when I see people at some of these Sydney Comedy Festival, Melbourne Comedy Festival, and I talk to them, mm. they say things like, wow, I didn't know we'd have events like this at the mm, theatre. Mm. I thought it was going to be men in tights here at the theatre. Yes. Again, it's a whole range of things. So we do have ballet. We do have beautiful music 
like a Philharmonic Orchestras, we do have musical shows, but you've also got things like Dubbo Theatre Company, mm. some unbelievable talent we have here in that, and they actually did a small segment, probably five-minute segment of one of the shows they're doing next year. So, so that was what, can you announce what uh, what are uh, they going to be doing next year? What are the, they, they made their official announcement in regards to what their major show is going to be? I won't go through all the shows that are coming up in the season, and these are just the season shows. Remember, there are other shows that we'll see as well throughout the year. But these are the ones that you can look at now. Go to the website and have a look, or there is a booklet that's available that's got all these shows in it as well. But just to give you a quick snapshot, the Umbilical Brothers are coming in February. In March, we've got a multicultural comedy gala, and we've got a kids show called Are We There Yet? Then also in March, we've got the Romantic Piano with concert pianist Constantine Chamray. Then we've also got in April the Wharf Review looking for Albanese. We saw a little clip of that on the season launch and that was very funny. Uh, also in April we've got Extraordinary Day, another kids show. And then in May, Boop, which is again a kids show. Later on in May you've got John Buckins' The 39 Steps. So this is a show being put on by Debo Theatre Company and that's the short piece we saw from that at the actual season launch. So it's great to see a very small snippet of that. Mr. Stink live on stage in May as well, another kids' show. Then in June, one that I try and get to every year and see lots of different people there at this one is the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Roadshow. So they take the best acts from the Melbourne International Comedy Show and basically take them on the road. Then in July, you've got Jesus Christ Superstar, another event being put on by Dubbo Theatre Company. In August, the Australian Ballet on tour. So we talk about Men in Tights. If you like Men in Tights and there's nothing wrong with that at all, then you'll see the Australian Ballet there, which is fantastic to see them on stage. In August, you've also got Arthur Miller's, uh, sorry, Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. The Sunshine Club in August, that's by Hit Productions. And then Marsha Hind is still going around. She's coming out in September. Then the Monkey Bar Theatre Company are putting on Possum Magic in October. And then in November, the Sydney Commodore Festival Showcase. So that gives you a bit of an idea of some of the shows there. It sounds like a fantastic lineup of shows. Yeah, and, and again, what I love about it is someone like Dubbo Theatre Company is playing on the same st- stage as a professional outfit, and they're amateurs, obviously. Mm. It used to be called DATS, Dubbo Amateur yes. Theatrical Society. It's yes. now called DTC. DTC. But mm. you've got those people who then lift their stand and there's no doubt about it. I remember being in DATS when I was a kid mm. and, and I've been in DATS mm. shows in the last few years yes. and the stand is definitely high. Oh, how got, good was Chicago this year? Oh, fantastic. Amazing. That's right. So you've got some of those things where everything lifts to suit that yes. but you've also got then the ability for school students to be on this professional stage and to lift their standard. Yes. Steadford, yes. This Steadford's booked out for three weeks next year for basically from the beginning of June through to about the 23rd yeah. of June. You've got the Steadford on there yeah. and again a lot of those acts, all those performances, dancing, that sort of thing, is all on that major right, stage. Right now, you've got all the, the dance companies are putting on all their Christmas concerts. And that's, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly right. Every and weekend, that's All happening. those parents and grandparents are there watching oh, their God kids on them. stage. Yes, yes. But again, as a three-year-old, you're on this international oh. standard stage, dancing away with the bright lights on you. So that's it is it. fantastic. So have a look at the subscription season. Subscribe or buy some tickets to some of those shows. Yes. I just think it's great to have that asset right here in the centre of our community. And again, the cost of going to a show here compared to going to a show in Sydney, the transport, the accommodation, but even the ticket price is usually half what you would pay in Sydney. So it's a huge advantage for our residents across the board. It really is a wonderful experience. Now, I see here, Matt, that uh, during the week, you actually attended the retirement function for the Volunteer Rescue Association Commissioner, Mark Gibson. Now, I think Mark has uh, put in 50 years 
50 years of service. 50 that's years. An, that's an, a, just thinking about that, 50 years of service to the one organisation. As a volunteer. As a volunteer. <laughs> that's right. It's not even a paid job. That's a volunteer. What an incredible achievement. So, look, talk us through. I know you were there, so you must have a little bit here about uh, Mr Gibson in regards to what he has achieved with this. He has achieved a lot. And 50 years as a VRA volunteer, mm. the last 10 years as the commissioner, uh, VRA commissioner, now, what's been really fascinating during that time is there's been a whole huge amount of change. Mm. And the VRA has had to change their structure completely. The VRA got some significant funding, and this is an announcement that goes back to about 2019. They okay. were given a significant amount of funding on the basis that they changed their structure, basically lifted it to a more professional structure, became a company limited by guarantee, just basically put in place a professional structure that you would expect to see. Now, that involved a lot of change, mm. and obviously people resist change. So some mm. people obviously were against that. There were some interesting discussions and battles through that process, but they were given four years to make that change. But Mark really led that change, and within two years they had all the pieces in place to make that change. To give you an idea of the significance of Mark's contribution, not only did we see the Minister, so the Honourable Steph Cook MP, Minister for Emergency Services and Resilience, and Minister for Flood Recovery, she was there and spoke very passionately about the work that she'd seen Mark do. Yes. But basically every emergency service was represented there and they formed a guard of honour yes. as Mark both walked and drove down oh, the middle of that guard of honour. experience, yes. So you had the Rural Fire Service, you had SES, you had the wow. police, all these different emergency services. And what I reflected on when I was talking to Mark, what I reflected on is I looked around the room and I said, if I was going to have an emergency, a disaster, an accident then I can't think of many better places to have it than right here. Is that right? Because I looked around the number of outfits, the professionalism that we had in the room, and the number of people that were prepared to help, both paid and volunteers. Mm. And I just, I, I tip my hat to those people because it's a pretty tough job. You think yes. about the VRA, you go out there to a car accident, for example, and oh, you're going to find some terrible scenes yes. sometimes. You're volunteering to put yourself in that situation mm. And just help out. That to me is an incredible sign of an incredible human being. Yeah, to totally do it for agree. fifty years, it's amazing. Is, it is amazing. And one of the things that was certainly recognised there was not just the contribution of Mark, but his wife, his mm. children, his grandchildren. Because as his wife said, and I spoke mm. to her briefly, as she said, it wasn't unusual. But sitting around the dinner table, how are you going, Mark? Have a nice day. And the phone would ring, and then she wouldn't see Mark again until the next day. Yeah, is that right? Because there you, go. you can't really choose when a disaster That's happens, it. when an emergency happens. Yeah. And Mark was there on call, ready to go, ready to facilitate, ready to, in the early days, ready to just be out there on the ground, but in the later times, just ready to organise things. But Mark, like, congratulations mm. to Mark, an incredible achievement. But the thing is, there are lots of Marks out there. Mark mm. was a special version of, of a volunteer, but yes. there are lots of those volunteers out there, lots of those people doing things. But just in that area, in that area where you're putting your life at risk, rural fire service, you're mm. putting your life at risk, you're going out trying to help other people in those incredible scenes. So really, mm. I suppose from my perspective, on behalf of the community, thank you to Mark. Congratulations yes. to the great work you did. But also thank you to all those other people involved in those similar services and those similar ones where they're really just giving of themselves and sometimes risking their own lives to help us That's out. wonderful. To Mr Gibson, enjoy your retirement. You deserve it. Well, last week we mentioned the amounts given to the community organisations uh, here in Dubbo. Now, during the week, you actually had the pleasure of doing the cheque presentation. So that must have been a pretty special little moment. I, I think there is, you know, in your role, you, there's a lot of the committee meetings and all those sort of things. But 
you do get these wonderful little moments, I'm sure, where you get to see the smiles and the faces. And, you know, these are the sort of people who are out there in the community. We just talked about Mark Gibson and what he gives. So many of these groups are also volunteer-based. And so to get counsel, to give a bit of financial support for these groups, it must put a bit of a smile on your face, Matt. There are some really tough jobs you do as mayor, some really demanding mm. jobs you do as mayor, and some really fun jobs you do as mayor. And yeah. this is one of the fun ones, handing out some checks. So we handed out $123,103.69. Oh, well done. Of your money. Yes. It's not my money, it's the That's community's right. money. Yes, I'm happy for you to give that. That's okay. Good. And that went to 21 different organisations in our community. And again, what I do, I started this probably a few months back. No, it would have been... I don't think I did it back when the last time I was mayor. I was trying to remember if I did it. I think I came up with, with the first check presentations I did when I came back as mayor. And what I used to do in the past is I used to talk about each of those organisations about the contribution they were making and then hand over a check to them. Hmm. And I thought, well, the people that know much better than I do about what they do, and that's these groups themselves. Hmm. So what I've started doing is I put the asset on them and I say, well, we've got organisation ABC here and they're about to pick up this check for X dollars. Now, can you give us a 30-second synopsis of what you do or what mm. you do with this money? Mm. And some people don't love standing in front of a group and talking to them. No, it's not easy for some, especially when they're very humble, probably volunteers in the background, yeah. You're right. And the thing that I've always found with these, though, is they're so passionate about what they do, mm. they are happy to talk about what they do. So I did the same with these check presentations during the week. Each organisation came up, and you've got a group of people there from all these organisations. They're very supportive mm. of one of their fellow organisations. So lovely? they're very keen yeah. to hear about this different organisation. And so they'll talk about it, and, and most of them telling the story about how they'll use that money. And we mentioned it last week, mm. what they do with the small amounts of money we give them. Some of these organisations were getting $499.99 with mm. one particular one, but $500, mm. $1,000, a couple yeah. of thousand dollars. And then what we hear that they do with that because they're using the power of volunteers, it's quite incredible. So the amount of money is, in relative terms, quite small. The impact for the community is quite large. And even the event fund, there's, there's various funds that we give it into. It might be support community organisations. It might be support events. Some of these events are going to draw 5,000 people to Dubbo, yeah. and we yeah. might have given them $1,000. So what that'll inject into our economy yeah. for yeah. a very small contribution from council yeah. is significant. So congratulations to all those organisations. I really did enjoy sitting there listening to each one as I got them up and handed them a check and just heard about their story. Mm. And sometimes I'll ask them a couple of extra questions to clarify it a bit more. But all those other organisations, at the end of it all, when there's a little bit of food at the side to have a snack on and keep them there for a bit longer, I could just see these different organisations asking about different things that each of them do. So you can just see... Their own little way of networking, isn't it? Well, that's right. And I can just see some of those groups saying, oh, well, you do that. Well, we do that. We could tie in these two things together. Link it up. Yeah, various things are happening there. So congratulations to all those organisations. And... Again, on behalf of the community, you do fantastic work. Mm. Please keep doing that fantastic work. Uh, well done to all. You're the ones that uh, very much keep our community going. Now, Matt, uh, obviously we've just had the Dubbo Day Awards. Now, I always sort of think it's very important, after you've had any major event, uh, it's always important to do a bit of a debrief afterwards, just to see if there's any areas we can improve on, what went well, what didn't go so well. So during the week, there's a bit of a debrief in regards to what I'm sure was a very successful day, but are there any changes you're looking at wanting to make to this? It's actually interesting you've asked me about that one, and you don't always ask me about some of the internal meetings I have. Normally, the questions you ask me about external things, yes, but it's actually yes. quite a relevant question you've asked there. And again, there are lots of internal meetings you have with various staff members, other councils, all those sort of things, which again, I don't normally worry about mm. discussing at length because it's probably not that exciting for people. But I thought this one was actually quite interesting you've asked me about here because any event takes a huge amount of planning. And if we pick on the Dubbo Day Awards as an example, you've got a community committee that 
is the Debo Day Committee. And the first thing they'll do is they'll look at the process that we did the previous year. Mm. Then we'll look at the award ceremony, when it's going to be held, how it's going to be organised, just the basics of going through organising an event. Sure, we've got all this history of previous ones, but mm. you think about have things changed? So COVID was a perfect example. Things had to change during COVID mm. to accommodate the whole range of restrictions that we had there with COVID. So you look at all those plans, then you look at the nomination form for the awards. Does it still look right? Any change we need to make, what things have changed mm. since then, right? Get that out there, advertise that out there. Then you get another meeting when you've got all those award nominations that come in to judge those, do the final meeting for the actual award ceremony itself. Mm. And then finally, after all that, you get to have the award ceremony, yes, which yes. is fantastic, very exciting, yeah. lots of people with happy smiles on their face. And then exactly as you said, it's important after any event to have a debrief. Mm. And we like to do that fairly soon after the event because that's when it's fresh. Does most events you do as council or is this a I would sort say, of selected once? No, I would say every event that wow, we do, every okay. recurring event. If it was yep. a one-off event, you may not do a debrief, but every recurring event, absolutely, okay. you always do that debrief. And then you discuss how things went, what things could we have gotten better? Should we change things for next year? Is everything okay? Mm. Just fine-tuning it all the time. And again, we have that community committee that sits around to mm. talk about these various things and talk about their feedback on the day. And so really from this one in particular, we thought the day was fantastic. We love the idea of getting the former councillors back. That hasn't happened for a number of years mm. now, but the former councillors back to hand out some of those awards. The committee thought that went really well. Just the idea of the – we used to have it – more or less like a lecture hall style seating. Yep. That changed a few years ago with COVID and they kept that change where now it's round tables and then you've got essentially your family members sitting with you around one mm. table. That was brought in for COVID, mm. but it seemed to work quite well. We've got your family group together. So mm. that was decided to keep that going in the future. The food, we did some individual grazing boxes because that was a COVID overhang or hangover as well. Mm. But it was probably decided that next year we could go back to a grazing table or maybe yeah. just grazing tables around the room. So just a few little minor yeah. changes there as we change with our restrictions and as we change with the numbers that come out to events again. Mm. Because it's still a challenge to get people out to an event. Yes. People are still a little bit COVID aware. Yep. Getting people it's out a bit to of an event. There's still within the community. I think there is COVID yes. hesitancy. I like that. I'll steal that one. So <laughs> I think there is a bit of that. I'll charge you later for it. <laughs> Thanks. And then again, we want more people to come out and look at these wonderful community advocates we've got. So those sort of things, again, sometimes people turn up to an event and just go, oh, yep, here I am, and everything should be right. Hmm. Or there'll be one little thing that's not perfect and then they'll complain about that. But they don't think about the process that's gone on. And again, you're trying to accommodate an event. For lots of people yes. with lots of different requirements, lots of different needs. So having all that put in place mm. and getting it right, uh, organising an event is very difficult. But well done to our team who do Absolutely. a lot of organising of those events. And it's a great sort of thing too uh, from the point of view of uh, a council and to sort of to see for our listeners to see there is actually a there's a very structured way the council rolls and that. And I suggest also the fact with the debrief. The debriefs are so important for setting you up then for next year. So you literally are, for every event, it's a 12-month planning period uh, because you go from one straight into the debrief to help you out then for your planning for your next event 12 um, months down the track. Yeah, that's right. And we've got those notes, obviously, that when the committee first starts meeting next year and there'll be a date already scheduled in with that mm. first meeting approximately around a certain date for that first meeting next year, they'll pull up the notes from this year because yeah. you've forgotten about it from eight months previous, for example, and yeah. you might say, right, what do we do? Oh, last year, that's right. Remember we said about this? Right, we'll go and make that change and we'll yeah. modify that and away you go. So It's a good reminder for all of us to do the debriefs. We all sort of tend to not necessarily always do that. You're right. It is a good thing and that's the important thing to do is as soon as possible after yes. the event, give it a few days, let things settle down and then go through that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
During the week, you uh, sounds like you've had the pleasure of being a keynote speaker at Aspire, uh, partnering with the future. This is a an event that's been organised as a collaboration of the three independent Dubbo schools. So I'm assuming that's the Christian School, Mags, and the Central West Academy. So how'd the day go, mate? That sounds like a interesting sort of a, a day. It was say. actually, yeah, I was really impressed with it, and I was actually in Sydney the night before, so I was on a seven o'clock flight back to Dubbo to get back in time. Just to actually a quiet day that. for you, Matt, from the sound of things. <laughs> that's right, and you can't be tired or off your game when you've got 150 year seven and year eight students oh, in front I can of you. I for that for you, don't worry. <laughs> That's right. They'll pick up any little flaw, any little misstep oh, yes, that you make. So yes. what I like about talking to students, and we've mentioned it before, is they're the future, but mm. they're already living in the future that they see. When you talk to people that are a bit older and you've got to change what's happening, people are resistant to change. These students are already at that change. Mm. And one of the things that I talked about, I actually did a bit of a talk about critical thinking and the process about thinking critically because the jobs that they will have when they get out in the workforce, some of them won't exist at the moment. Mm. So you might say as a teacher, oh, well, you can't give the skills those kids need for those jobs because we don't know what the jobs will be. On the contrary, there's this whole process now with the six C's. Mm. And Talk me through it. What are the six C's? What's that? Oh, it's a very good question. Actually, there's a few different versions of the six C's. The six C's that I generally think about in this new education paradigm are critical thinking, creativity, collaboration, communication, character, and culture. And I have sometimes seen a few different versions of those, but they seem to be the most common six in those C's that are there. And it is about arming children for tomorrow and about arming children for whatever is thrown at them, whatever the world gives us and all those changes in occupations and changes that we know are coming up. One of the things that I often talk about with groups of students is critical thinking because mm. that's a skill that you can have regardless of your job. So it doesn't matter about what your job mm. you're doing, you can have that idea that you can think critically about it. Things like communication, incredibly important. I'm not talking mm. about communication on a mobile phone, I'm talking about communication and working out how to communicate with other people via whatever method that might be. It might mm. be via a video conference call or a phone call or face-to-face, -face, but it's about mm. communication and mm. connectivity. We see so much collaboration using connectivity now, it makes it so much easier to get jobs done from wherever you might be in the world. Mm. So I think students, like I talk to, have got it. They've got the idea of the future. They know where we've got to be. They accept that and it's just the norm. But what I actually kind of almost don't realise some of these things until I start talking about them out loud, mm. but the opportunities we've got here. And so what I was talking to them about a lot was what Dubbo is going to see over the next five to ten years' time. And I start getting a bit excited about it as mm. I talk about it because mm. there are so many opportunities. And what some people see as a problem other people see as an opportunity. Mm. And I see exactly the same thing here, that sometimes people might say, I oh, know this climate change thing is a problem, or the new economy, the new renewable economy is a problem. But what I think about here in particular is that gives us an incredible opportunity. We are in a renewable energy zone. Yes, We've got already some projects that have been built around Wellington, solar farms, wind farms. So what opportunities does that present for us? What things can we do to take advantage of that? And that's what I really talked about to this group of students. Mm. And the teachers talked to me afterwards and said that was fantastic. That echoed some things they've been talking about in the classroom. But Excellent. as you would know, sometimes it takes an external person to say Absolutely. the same thing you've been saying. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. to, to I've been telling you that for 20 years. But no, <laughs> oh, Mr. Dickerson came in. He told me about it. Yes, okay. Well, you know, he's very good. <laughs> and that's right. Sometimes that's it. So that was great that it, it 
nailed it from that perspective. But what was also great was there were a number of stalls set up around the RSL club where the students then had a program of a time oh, frame okay. where they'd yeah, go good, to the various good. stalls. Yep. So, like a little expo type setup. Exactly right, yep. Yeah. And so I really enjoyed that because I went around and talked to some of those different stalls and just got an idea of what they saw as opportunities and the things that they saw there. So I don't want to pick on too many individual stall holders, but for example, Amazon Web Services was there. Oh, Fantastic. Really? People came up from Sydney, worked for Amazon, and they were trying to get the students to think about a career with them or something similar. And when I spoke to them, they said that one of the things they found is when they talked to university students, it was almost too late. They'd already set their path forward mm. and it might not have been a path that suited Amazon. Talking to them when they're in year seven and year eight gets them thinking about it. So then they start to choose the right subjects in year 11 and 12 to then go into university to then be of use. Yes. So Amazon's thinking about this what will we need in eight, ten years' time? Yes. So you saw things like that. I talked about the School of Rural Health, the University of Sydney School of Rural Health, and the fact that you used to be able to do the last two years of your medical degree here in Dubbo. From this year, the first year was the first four years, so mm. the first year of year one for the four-year degree. So you can now, if you want to be a doctor here in Dubbo, you can do it while you're here in Dubbo. So it's what a great pleasure, opportunity for these know, kids. Absolutely. Things like the Australian Strategic Minerals, the Toongai rare earth mine that will come on soon. Alkane with there is mm. another type of mine that's not a coal mine, mm. but a mine I think Alkane do a very good job in terms of looking after the environment while they're doing their mining job as best they possibly can. So all these different opportunities there. Dubbo Regional Council had a stand there, of course. Yep. I even saw an Aramine Shire Council there with a stand. Oh, good on them. Again, just talking about these careers yeah. and the opportunities that you might have in a whole range. And just what I was really impressed with as I walked around it was just the variety. There are so many things. It's so exciting yes. to be a young person at the moment. There are so many things that you could do. There are so many opportunities out there. But the great part about it is you could realise so many of those opportunities from Right here, you don't need to. You don't have to go to the big smoke anymore. Or, we are enough of the big smoke right here to have we these are. opportunities. That's right. But yeah. but even if there are some of those things that might be in some of those bigger areas, the fact that we've now worked out we can do remote collaboration, remote communication, mm. it means that you can achieve so many of those things without having to go away mm. from here. So that to me, again, I get excited about it now. Thinking about these opportunities yeah. to be in year seven and eight now. Wow, how exciting would that be? Haven't things changed? Ah, uh, Matt, this is actually this is a great little one to talk about. I'd suggest the the CWA high tea on Sunday afternoon. Now, probably maybe some people sitting out there listening. Why are we talking about the CWA high tea on a Saturday afternoon? You know, what's what's the the relevance in regards to it? But I think there's actually something fairly exciting happened here last weekend, and uh, involves a centenary. So elaborate further for me. The CWA started, would you believe, in June 1922. There you go. So that was Dubbo branch. Now, CWA here in Australia only started in April 1922. So wait, wait, wait. So it started here in Australia in April. When what was the figure again? 1922. Yep. Yet it then came to Dubbo in June. Yeah, so June, the Dubbo wow. branch opened so in that's, June. It's almost like we're one of the, the originals. That's Absolutely it. right. So it's pretty impressive. And that you can imagine impressive. then it wasn't as easy as a quick search on the internet and suddenly you find something and go, well, no, we'll open that no, branch as well. it's a horse-drawn cart sort of stuff. So the message probably took the time. Yeah, <laughs> it probably took two months to come it. out. Absolutely. But that's pretty impressive. Now, the CWA has obviously been involved in a whole range of things over the years. The war efforts they put in. They've yes. actually been great yes. advocates for different things in our community and have affected some social change. It's yep. not just about some cakes you might buy at the front of a CWA no, hall. No, not at all. So they've been a real contributor to all these communities. But I was 
blown away when I'd heard that it was a centenary this year, but the fact that the Dubbo branch was also celebrating 100 years. So the mm. Macquarie Group, which has basically got 14 branches on it, that goes from Canamble to Mumble, Stewart Town sort of area, yep. and basically that group had the celebration on Saturday afternoon for the 100-year anniversary oh, that celebration yeah, yeah. For, the, for the state and also for the Dubbo branch. Yeah, uh, I thought that was pretty nice, and it's great to go along to those things, and you just get to hear some of the – the wonderful mm. stories, some of the bits and pieces you'll hear from the involvement from various people, but also the relevance going forward. And some people do question various organisations, whether they're relevant, whether Rotary might be relevant or whether Lions might be relevant, all these things going forward. But the CWA, I guarantee, we'll see a 200-year celebration from the CWA oh, and beyond. Exactly. Fantastic yeah. organisation and really great again. Yes. We're talking a little bit about volunteers today, but really yeah. great group of volunteers again that do some fantastic work. But aren't they just a great example, I suggest, of the fact, just the humble nature of people in our community about how they just sort of go about their business and doing things. You mentioned a number of great groups there. Now, these people just sort of, they'll meet their regular meetings during the week. They plan these extraordinary events, really, for the, and it's all volunteer-based. Mm. They raise this wonderful money. They just keep the foundations together for our country communities, don't they? Yeah, that's right. And you are actually, I think that's spot on. It keeps the foundation together. And one of the things that I always enjoy about regional areas versus city is you do get that much closer linkage and you get that linkage because you've got these various groups that are doing things mm. and they are very much community focused so mm. it is exciting to see cwa being part of our community for 100 years crookwell was the first branch in, right. in april 1922 oh, crookwell, okay. crookwell yep. and then yeah again in dubbo in, in oh. june 22 so well, congratulations to all of those involved and well done in 100 years and may you get to the 200 now, Matt, uh, we've spoken a little bit over the course of the last uh, couple of weeks in regards to renewable energy and how you mentioned even on today's program already the fact that we are now very much a renewable energy zone here. Now, during the week, there was a, a meeting in Mudgee, which uh, involved the Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone Community Reference Group. Now, that is a mouthful. to slow that down to get through <laughs> that one, I tell you. I don't know if I could even work out an acronym for that. So uh, talk me through it. How did that go? So we are in the Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone, right. and it encompasses three different local government areas. We've got Dubbo Regional Council, we've got Warren Bungle Shire Council, which is effectively Coonabarra, but it's the main centre there, and you've got Midwestern Regional Council, which is mainly Mudgee. Those three, the Renewable Energy Zone, is touching all three of those LGAs. Mm. And when the government's rolling out some projects sometimes, they like to have feedback from the community. They like to have some sort of reference group. There are various projects. It's compulsory as part of that project. Now, part of the Renewable Energy Zone, the whole idea is that you've got a, an organisation called Energy Co, and their job is to basically build better or higher level transmission lines out to the Renewable Energy Zone because obviously we'll be generating a huge amount of energy just around the Wellington area alone once the projects are kind of up and running in the next, say, five years, we'll be providing about power for about 30% of the homes in this state. Now, That's 30% an extraordinary figure, it is, it, really? it is. 30% of the homes in the state aren't located around Wellington. No. So obviously it's got to get that power from there somewhere else. Yeah. So that's where Energy Co is building these new transmission lines, mm. building new transformers, Getting substations. All the infrastructure in place, so to speak. Correct. And yeah. the idea here is that they'll be building that so that proponents who want to build solar farms, wind farms, can have the certainty that they can make the investment in mm. these zones, mm. knowing they'll be able to produce the power and then be able to get it back onto the grid. Mm. So the same as they would have had to do that when they had a coal-fired power station, for example. Great, we're going to produce power there. We need to get it out to where it needs to go. It's mm. the same concept. So that's all good in terms of 
getting the power there. The projects that we see already around Wellington, technically they're not part of the Renewable Energy Zone. They were there before the Renewable Energy Zone was actually considered and contemplated. They built there because there was a substation there mm. and it had convenient sun or convenient wind. So it was built predating that. But mm. then obviously when the government looked where they should locate these zones, that was a logical place to put it because it had the right components of wind and sun and mm. there's already some projects that were being built there. So the community reference group, the idea of these is that you put together some various people. So there were local government reps. So I've just become the Dubbo Regional Council local government rep. There were reps there from... Mudgee, from Coonabarabin, from those two council areas. And then there were community people, so farmers that might be being impacted, for example, various community groups, and some of the generators, some of the people that will be actually building the wind turbines, some of the people that will be building the solar farms, they're there as well. So it's a whole mixture okay, of so everyone there. a lot of the, the main players... We're all in the one room together. All together. So there are probably about 20 people in the okay. room. This many was held in Mudgee in particular. So it was really just a discussion about the progress. We got a presentation from Energy Co about the various steps that they're taking, where they're up to with those various steps, because even though it's the government building all of this, they're still mm. going to go through the same regulatory processes. You can imagine planning a major transmission line. Mm. You've got to go through people's farms. You've got to make sure you've got easements there. You've got mm. to make sure that they've got access to those. There's going to be some compensation paid to those farmers. So all these things, that's just to get the power out here. Mm. And then obviously the rest of it in terms of the, the wind and the solar and the batteries that might be built as part of that. Yeah. Did you ever get the opportunity during the course of these meetings, I know we've talked about this before, about uh, the financial compensation for the areas. Do you, in having these major players here who are actually setting this up, do you get the chance to talk to them at any great length about what type of financial compensation can be then brought back into these communities? Certainly it's one of the areas of discussion. Okay. It doesn't necessarily, you don't sit down and say it's going to be $5 per megawatt per year that's going to be paid. It doesn't get down to the mm. nitty-gritty detail of that. What it does do, it talks about the broader concepts. And one of the issues that we've certainly talked about, and I've actually had this conversation with the Premier, that at the moment it comes down to some negotiation, whether it be between a landholder and Energy Co or a landholder and the proponent putting something on their bit of land, or it might be between council and that proponent or council and Energy Co. So it ends up with all these individual negotiations. And of course, there's all these non-disclosure agreements that are signed. So every negotiation is confidential. Mm. Every farmer's told not to discuss it with their fellow farmer because it breaches the NDA if they do that. Okay. So it, it all becomes a bit secret squirrel. Yeah. And certainly one of the things that we did talk about this week was it would be much better if there was a formula in place that everyone understood and this was the way the calculation was done. Now, there might be some reason to vary slightly above or below that formula based on some certain variables, but just put some rules in place, put some mm. basic policies in place and say, mm. this is how much it's going to be, but if you can prove that your land is more productive than that, you might get a bit extra, mm. or if the land isn't quite as good as that, you might get paid a bit less. Sounds like a common sense approach, to be honest. Oh, it would be nice because so much time is spent on the negotiation process, yeah. and that's where I find that people get their most angst, their most annoyance, the most frustration and the most time mm. wasted mm. is when they have to go through these negotiations and try and get something that they consider to be a fair and reasonable outcome for themselves. Mm. The company paying it wants to pay as little as possible. Mm. The person receiving it wants to get as much as possible. There's got to be someone in the middle to meet. But surely there's been enough of these proposals put together yeah, now that surely there'd be some way to say, here's a basis from all the previous negotiations. Here's a starting point. Go from there. Does the state government play like an arbitration sort of role in this in the sense that are they, is this the group meant to be reporting back to and that they then turn around and say, okay, well, this is going to be the outcome based on what 
you know, you guys are presenting at these meetings? Yeah, it's not really an arbitration process they play. The state government might have, for example, a consent authority process. So these often would be state significant developments. So there's a certain process they go through. And for example, you've got to be able to show that you've got permission from a landholder to put whatever project you need to put on their land. They don't say, and you must pay X dollars per megawatt or X dollars per metres or kilometres of transmission lines that might be on their property, a whole different way, around of ways to measure these things, obviously. Mm. So it just means that you've got to have had a negotiation that's been a successful outcome. So that means it's whatever you two do, in other words, the so landholder and the company. left up to the councils and the, the, the private enterprises that are coming in. You guys have to sort of nut this out. Is well, that... not the councils. The, if I was oh, putting in a wind okay. farm, i go and negotiate. If you own some land, I'll put a wind farm on your land, I've got to get to the stage where I've got permission to put it on your land. Yep. Then when I go forward with my proposal to put in my application to develop this, I need to be able to show that the landholder is happy for me to put that particular development on their land. Obviously, mm. there's no point doing it if you're not going to give me permission to put it on your land. Mm. But then from a community benefits fund, from some negotiation with councils, if it's a wind farm, you have to show that you've had some negotiations and come to some agreement with the council. Now, we could disagree with it as a council, yep. but the wind farm proponent could say, well, we've suggested this much. The council said, no, but this is our suggestion. This is where we're headed. And that's as much as we're prepared to pay. And they might just get it to go through because we can't say no. The state government, as a consent authority, would say no. If it was a solar farm, there's no requirement whatsoever to have any of those negotiations with the council Mm. for any community benefits fund. You're still going to get permission to put it on some land, but Mm. there's no requirement at all. So I don't understand why no requirement on solar. Yes, there's a requirement on wind. But again, when you put that application in, you just have to demonstrate that you've taken the steps, but the dollar value is not part of that application process. Mm. Okay. Well, changing our course absolutely completely from that last point of discussion, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. There's my little poor interpretation. I think that was Bing Crosby or someone. But anyway, going on to it, the Christmas lights are now officially up there on Macquarie Street. So uh, how exciting is this? It's December. It's the start of December. You know, the sales have been on, the Black Friday sales. Everyone's getting a bit excited about it all. So... I, I always love this time of year, Matt. I don't know if are you a Christmas person, Matt? I do like Christmas. I must admit that it always sneaks up on me and yes. then before I know it, it's Christmas Day. But it is nice. It's probably more the family. I don't really care that much about the presents and mm. I'm impossible to buy for because mm-hmm. I've got the gadgets that I want yeah, already. Well, so you, you are a tech man and you will be a hard man to talk for and buy for, I imagine. Yeah, so, the yes. kids always tell me that. But I, I don't really care. I don't care if I get no presents. It's really just about that time to actually stop, take a breath and relax for at least mm. a day, maybe a couple mm. of days even. You so, get four hours sleep a night rather than three now. That's, <laughs> that's, <three. right. laughs> that's it. So that is, I suppose, part of that whole process around Christmas. It's just about that family time together. Mm. And I think it's funny that people do seem to be nicer to each other at Christmas and mm. you feel like saying, well, why you can't don't help you just do but this? Be nice. The Christmas carols are playing and the, you know, the Christmas trees are up and all these sort of fun things. But why can't we be like that all the year? That's It'd kind of nice, my, wouldn't it? my point. Hey, yeah, absolutely. everyone's very nice and sweet at Christmas yeah. time and then it comes first of January and they're back There's to like, Growl again. There That's we go. Right. Uh, so I think it's nice, but the Christmas lights. So we had a, a nice little event on Friday night where we turned on the Christmas lights at the tree in the Rotunda. Mm-hmm. But as part of that, we also formally announced our local heroes. Yeah. And down Macquarie Street now, if you look at the flags that are flying, we've got a number of faces up there. Wonderful. And we had this process where we basically had some nominations and yep. chose people that are out there. It does seem to be very focused on volunteers today, but people out there in our community doing some great volunteering work, 
doing fantastic work in our community. And so we chose some of those, mm. and then their faces are up on the flags Isn't down that the Isn't a lovely street. gesture? Yeah, it's it was. a lovely gesture. Yeah, so we had some of those local heroes come along and help turn the lights on. It's pretty oh. hard work, you know, turning lights on a Christmas tree. So. Oh, I'd imagine we could do it individually, don't you? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we did do a, a little virtual turn-on where we had the group of local heroes yes. and myself and one of my fellow councillors. We stood there and we did abracadabra shazam, yep. and that was the magic word to make the lights turn on. So the kids yes. there were very impressed with oh, that. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. So they're all magicians now as well. Exactly. Oh, right. very impressive. <laughs> yeah, so it's nice to see the lights on there at Rotunda. We had an incident many years ago with a bit of vandalism on that tree. Mm. So that was pretty disappointing for a Christmas tree to be vandalised. Yeah, I don't understand why anyone would do that. But anyway. No, and, and I'm uh, just letting people know there at the moment, we do have CCTV down Macquarie Street. Okay. And at this time of year, Good. we do make sure there's at yeah. least one of those cameras that's focused pretty much on the tree. On the tree. So anyone so, out there with any of those uh, negative, grinchy thoughts, get away from it. That's exactly it. Exactly right. Yep. So anyway, it's Christmas time. It's coming up to Christmas. So fantastic. Oh, Merry Christmas to all coming up. All right, Matt, we're moving on now, of course, to the concluding part of the today's show. And it's time now for your limerick. So what have you got for us this week, Matt? Well, I can't help but do a limerick about the Christmas tree. Surely with oh, the well, lights being turned on. Reason. That's right, the Christmas tree. I thought that would be the obvious thing to do a limerick on. So it goes like this. We turned on the lights on our tree for all of the region to see. When they come to shop or bring in their crop, it will put smiles on faces, I guarantee. Ah, it's perfect, Matt. Well done. The old Christmas, it is coming up and I can't wait to sort of see the end results of what you're going to get this year for Christmas. I hope your fam looks after you, at least for one little techie device this year. (laughs) Thank you. That'd be nice. You just tell them, will you? (laughs) I will. I'll pass the message on. Well, folks, I can't wait to see the new Serengeti experience at the zoo and I'm sure you're in the exact same situation as well. And congratulations again to VRA Commissioner Mark Gibson on 50 years of outstanding service. Congratulations again, Mark. I wish you all the very best with your retirement. And of course, when you get the chance, take a trip down Macquarie Street and have a look at those wonderful Christmas lights displays that are set up there in that beautiful Christmas tree. Well, folks, that just wraps it up for this week of the Merrill Memo. Until next week, take care. Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.